episode 78 of the Development Hell Podcast, your favorite comedy podcast that happens to talk about technology. I'm your permanent guest host, Chris Hartis, and with me as always is Edward Finkler. Ed, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Christopher. Christopher, you know, only my mom and dad call me that and my wife calls me that to just to tweak me because being called Christopher mm. always reminds me of being like a little kid and getting in trouble for doing something stupid so as you can guess I got to hear Christopher quite a lot when I was younger I met a Topher over the weekend that's always strikes me as like a super pretentious short form of Christopher yeah he was a nice guy but I kind of when, when they said his name I sort of wanted to hit him <laughs> um, but he actually was a really great guy and was super gracious and um, I, it was part of a very nice weekend I had sweet it's uh, actually a, a long weekend uh, here in Kanakistan it's we're celebrating uh, Queen Victoria's birthday this weekend oh right the Commonwealth yes um, so a long weekend so I spent yesterday doing something I hadn't done in 20 something years. I, uh, I have, um, I participate in a monthly, acid. no, Oh God, I do that anytime I want. Don't have to wait 20 years. Okay, um, fair enough. Although I've never done acid that I'm legalize gonna, it that I'm, that I'm going to admit to. So, uh, I have a monthly board game night with a bunch of friends of mine. We used to play, uh, like mm-hmm. the role-playing games, like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. And I've then, and then it started getting way too hard to like coordinate everyone to show up and to like yeah. the, the best role-playing game, so that I participate in are like long running ones with continuity between every time that you played, but with so many people drifting in and out as their commitments. Cause they're all like, I'm one of the younger people in the group. So they all older marriages, families, jobs, all that stuff. So we switched. Right. So we switched to doing board games because it meant that we could just have a self-contained night where you just, you play the thing, you do this and then that's it. And we can do it again another time if, if we want to. So we keep rotating, we keep rotating through games. So the one we played yesterday was, um, last night with the friends was car wars, which is like, a um, it's what you'd it's think it Steve is. It's a Steve Jackson game. It, it is a Steve Jackson game. We mm-hmm. played it at uh, one and a half times normal scale. I had a, a somebody who I met at uh, when I was at the big magic tournament uh, about a month ago um, up in Toronto. He had a whole bunch of micro machines, you know, the little miniature cars. Yeah, sure. So he gave them to me and then you can just scale all the maps and like turning counters and all that stuff up one mm-hmm. and a half times size. And then they're the exact size of the micro machines. So, uh, to scale t- the maps. Well, yeah, I had a map that I could, I found a map online. You just scale the map up and I went to, mm-hmm. I went to, uh, Staples and printed out this humongous four foot by a uh, six foot map on some, oh, ni- on some nice okay. glossy paper. And then we slammed that down on top of somebody's dining room table, uh, I had the PDF of the rule book on my iPad, so I brought that with me. And uh, we spent six hours uh, racing tiny miniature cars around a track. And I won because I was the only car that was still moving after the person who was like half a lap in front of me um, blew their tires and slammed into the wall. So winner by default, best way to win. I know a guy who plays a game that's just like, uh, like a Roman chariot thing. Oh yeah, I've heard. Like, but, yeah, circus. But, I think it's called Circus Maximus. Yeah, he plays that. Yeah, you guys are a lot nerdier than I thought. Yeah, right. S- says the guy that with like you know owns seventy five percent of the consoles ever made. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean compared to me, I'm pretty fucking cool. <laughs> so yeah, so I had a great time. Uh, I had a great time doing that. So I hadn't I hadn't played that in uh, twenty plus years. So it was nice. To, Whoa, nice to go Adam- back and play something. I'm seeing a picture of Adam Culp and he's like at Meteor Crater in Arizona. I think he did this. 
Because, you know, he kind of looks like a, a supervillain. <laughs> and it looks like he blew that whole thing up himself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't follow him on Twitter. Well, this was on Instagram. Oh. Um, we've gone deep. Yeah, we've gone really deep. All this right, so anyway. Deep into the Yeah, so ones. board games. Do you play a lot of board games, Ed? You know, I actually don't. I play basically no board games. Um, I... I'm kind of weird this way, and I've been this way since I, kid, I was a kid, that I'm like, um, I would rather play the video game. Yeah, no worries. Just so curious. it's like I don't have to take care of the physical management of stuff. And uh, I don't know, it, you know, things don't animate and move around on the board or on the cards. I kind of wish they did. And it just becomes more delightful to me. Well, yeah, whatever, man. No big deal. Unanticipated delights. <laughs> it's all good, man. I, I enjoy the I enjoy playing the physical games. I don't play a lot of video games. So I'm kind of the opposite of you, right? I don't really like playing video games. Never really have. Mm-hmm. The played, opposite. I played as a kid, played with my friends in high school, but it was never like a big thing that I really liked to do. I would play sports games mostly. That was about it. Spart. Spart. Um, what games did you play when you were Sparting? Uh, so I used to play uh, all the variations on the uh, NHL games, like for Super right. Nintendo and then PlayStation. So, you know, NHL 2K or whatever the fuck it is now. Didn't your socialist government just like buy one for a copy for every citizen and send it to you? No, that's no, they didn't do oh, that. That's weird. Uh, and I played a lot of uh, Tecmo Bowl and Super Tecmo Bowl. Well, of course. I mean, that, that's not even a goddamn question. I uh, played some of that when I was at the uh, Louisville Arcade Expo. And there was a, also there was a baseball game for Nintendo that I liked called Baseball Stars, where you like start off with a team and money, and you like build your team, and then by winning games, you'd make more money. Then you can build your team up, and then you could just play like endless uh, seasons with the team, building it up until it was like a unstoppable juggernaut, and you would mercy every team like in the first inning. So, oh yeah, that was an SNK game. Yeah. Also known as Baseball Star Mezasi Sankan. Oh wow! Look at you. Going all super cyan on me. Yeah, uh, so here we've got to post that in the notes there. Anyway, uh, so that's what we got uh, going on. And, and so I next ju- week, no, next yeah. weekend is Memorial Day weekend in the U.S., right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually going to be I'm going to be getting home Saturday. So I guess Memorial Day is Monday though. So I mean, I should be able to celebrate that. And then, um, oh, you're in Minneapolis right now, aren't you? Didn't you go? No, home? no, no. I'm home. I'm home, but I got home today. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I was in Minneapolis from Thursday, no, Friday until today. And you had some kind, sensitive soul correct you about the spelling of WordPress. Once again, showing how to build those great well, bridges between communities. I mean, you kind of have to forgive it. He's French, I think. So it's, you kind of expect that kind of yeah. kind of shit. Hello, French. Yes. Bon, bonjour, mes amis. <laughs> it is time to commence with the thinking of the sponsors. The sponsors. We have a sponsor Uno today. Uh, and that sponsor Uno is not Baseball Stars, which I'm disappointed by. Because I was really hoping that that, that game would um, come to life. Uh, anthropomorphic. Anthrop- 
Anthropomorphic? Anthro. It's when we when you treat something like it's a person. Anthropomorphic? No, it's I messed it up. Anthropocentric or something? I don't know. Anthropocentric. I don't know. It's probably not even a word. Okay. But anyway, under the sponsor. It was in a bad religion song once, so I know it's a real word. Bad religion. Um, I've never listened to those guys, whatever. That's okay. Anyway, uh, our sponsor is Wonder Network. The one network you need to bring out the wonder in you. Now, Wonder Network has several services, uh, many of them related to localization of websites and testing of that kind of thing. So you can get screenshots or just proxy your connections through various locations all over the globe on six continents to see, hey, if I look at this uh, from China, does the stuff that's supposed to see, hey, you're in China, I'm going to make you pay in, I don't know, Deutschmarks or whatever, whatever they use there. Um, does that work? Uh, you can test that stuff. It's all about localized uh, testing of localization and things of that nature. Um, and then they've got stuff like, you know, like I said, take screenshots out. They also have a, a private VPN service that you can use. Um, and also some things like a load testing uh, system. Uh, that pretends to be like a real user and it's not just like, oh, let's throw as many connections as we can at it. No, it actually tries to acts like a real user and can log in and, you know, delete stuff and destroy your site and things of that nature. Anyway, they are providing us with the bandwidth uh, today, which is very nice of them, uh, for our live broadcast. And someone on Twitter said that they seem to indicate some sort of information they have that requires them to actually be listening to this. So I believe that they are actually listening. So Wonder Network, uh, run by Gemma and Ansible, and then a couple dudes. Uh, thank you again for your sponsorship and for your repeated attempts to uh, get a server for us to test localization from Antarctica. We appreciate it. Do you think Chris is coming back? I'm right here. All right. Where'd you go? I just had to close the door because that air conditioner came on, so the furnace is making See? ridiculous noise. This is a professional operation. Professional only because we're getting paid. I'm going to have to filter that out. I'm going to have to put noise gates on shit. Should I put noise gates on it all the time? Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, I was at, uh, I was at WordCamp Minneapolis. With the lovely weekend. and talented Erin O'Neill, if I remember yeah, her tweets great. correctly. It was great to hang out with her, and uh, I met a lot of cool people. And uh, the word campions that I met uh, were super, super nice, and it was a really pretty cool conference. There was that part where one of the organizers uh, recommended a bunch of talks and didn't recommend mine, and so I cried some. But other than that, uh, it was pretty nice. And I, you know, gave my talk, and I think that went pretty well. And uh, I think we're in uh, good shape, so that was good. All right, yeah, so thank you to uh, Paul and Will and uh, Gemma and also Allison of the Wonder Network uh, for their incredible long-term support. So let's get on with this. Our, hey, if Paul dies, does this, Allison run it? I, th You know what? That's a really good question. I would, I would guess yes. 
Okay. All right. Just clarifying that. Well, let's move on. All right. Let's move on. Because not that we wish Paul death, but we're always thinking ahead of the welfare of those who depend on him. Besides, he never listens anyway, so it's not like he's going to hear about this. He's consistent in that he only listens to the podcast when he's on it. All right. Mm -hmm. So enough about that. So it's very rare that we have uh, two folks from the same organization on the show uh, back to back. So, I don't know, mistake, uh, brilliant strategy. I'm not quite sure what it is. I guess we'll find out at the end. Hopefully we uh, make her cry like we made our previous guest cry. Let's introduce Jessica Rose. Jessica, are you there still? I am. I've been very patiently not trying to excitingly yell while y'all were talking about insane racing tabletop games. Car Wars is awesome. No, it's fine. It's apparently a thing. It's a thing in the decline. I think like it's it had its day in the eighties, and now the the company that runs it just waited too long to do anything with it. It could be it could have been so much better, but it's like just like a fringe thing that only like old people like me who played it when it first came out remember about it. I don't th- I, if it came out today, it would just be totally ignored because everyone's standards for especially due to the rise of like board games in general the you know the eurocentric board gaming culture that sprang up when settlers of catan swept through everything winning awards and really upping the bar for board games now car wars it's a little game with all these tiny cardboard counters that get lost all the time and it's you you have to put a lot of work into it to make the experience really enjoyable which is unfortunate different nerd than i am and he's constantly playing with his friends something that involves dice and tiny cars uh, so I'm going to rock in and be like, is it this? Is it this? So with um, Dyson, Dyson Tiny Cars, is that what you said? Yeah, I, I have no idea what he's doing. I thought he was having maybe, some kind of prolonged psychotic break. Maybe it's yeah. it's either Car Wars or maybe he's playing. Uh, there's another popular car racing game called Form, Formula, yeah. De, Formula D that's, uh, that's just uh, like Formula One racing. So it's like Car Wars. Car Wars lets you drive around in cars with armor and weapons. So that's basically the big difference. I see. We had, so that's we, what the cool car people with tabletop games play. Yeah, I guess. Well, cool car people oh, drive sorry. cars like that too. Yes. I don't understand. Yes. yes. There's something satisfying about trying to blaze through a turn at 105 miles an hour while trying to also shoot somebody. It's, uh, it's, every, it's every NASCAR guy's dream, I think, basically. Freaking sweet is what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, Jessica. So why? Don't, I mean, we know uh, about you. Why don't you tell our uh, all eighteen hundred plus of our listeners? Uh, oh God, are. no pressure. No pressure. Uh, yeah. Jessica. So hi, I'm Jessica Rose. I'm head of developer relations over at Dream Factory. Um, I'm an American, but living in Britain, but now in Texas because I'm constantly on the road. Um, yeah, I do a lot of public speaking. A lot of being tired. Um, I think those are all the important things about me. I used to have much more of a personality, um, but I think jet lag has slowly robbed me of everything but the essentials. Have, having I have been with Jessica uh, at other conferences, even in her diminished state, she is a delightful personality. Hey, I came up uh, with this earlier this week, which was to change the lyrics to the song uh, by Dokken from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Uh, and the song is the title track, Dream Warriors. But to change it to Dream Software. 
Yeah. Dream I always have to say it's not a creepy religious no thing. <laughs> is, that, is that the Dream Factory jingle that you're just singing, Ed? Uh, Dream Factory. That's right. Yes. I forgot the name of the, the company already. Yes. Dream Factory. <laughs> Don't want to dream no I've more. <laughs> turned into the sofa jingle quite quickly. Well, I upped my game. It, it's quite it would be different if you, if you saw my hairs teased out um, and I'm wearing like a lot of... Uh, Fring leather with fringe on it. Um, Are we allowed to role play kind of like what we're wearing and what we look like? Because I'm oh, not at all yeah, sweaty and the gross. Safe the safe word is banana, and I way. look fabulous. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds <laughs> yeah. great. Anyway, yeah, I look like uh, Donnie Dockin or whatever his name is. And um, I'm pretty sure he'd punch you out for calling him Donnie Dockin, like to his face, because uh, I get you heard about him and George Lynch would like. Don Dawkins and George Lynch like having fights on stage during concerts. That kind of th- that led to Dawkins just completely imploding as a as a yeah, band. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, I think I was probably thinking of like Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> it's Donnie. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, I thought of that uh, like when I I think around Wednesday, and then I just remembered that I had was like, hey, I got to save this for the podcast. Well, there you anyway. go. That's that's good to see that your medium term uh, memory is working okay. Kind of. Or put this in the notes, so we've got to make sure this. Also, uh, my wife, who's the expert on Nightmare on Elm Street, would definitely say that Dream Warriors was the best or her favorite. I'm not sure about best. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Given that she likes Don Rickles, I'm not sure I should trust her judgment about anything else. You shut your mouth about Don Rickles. I love Don Rickles. That dude is hilarious. It's overplayed. I'm not sure I know who this is. Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. That's how relevant no, he Google's is. No, Google's the thing. Okay, yeah. Oh, he... Wow. <laughs> um, Google image search is not always very flattering, is it? <laughs> hey, let's go see if we, what we got here on Don. Um, go. I got one with him sort of looking into a fisheye lens. Which is not anybody's best face view, for radio. Uh, he has a face talks. for uh, voice work. Is basically what I like yeah, to say he, about Don Rickles. He isn't probably what you would call in in the wrestling world a face. No, he when played, he's like, talking and doing things, he looks cute, personable. Let's move on. Oh, all right. So yeah, we don't need that. We don't need to talk about the uh, Dev Evangelist life because we already had a few people on that told us what a horrible thing is, and you burn out after two mm. years, and blah blah, blah 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 blah. But instead, let's talk about uh, something that is. Oh, they lied. It's great all the time. Great. Well, no, note that Jessica is contractually not allowed to say anything bad about either her position <laughs> or her company. So let's yeah, let's make sure. Thing. Anything that she talks about related to Dream Factory, we're just going to put a big uh, asterisk and a sound effect next to it when the podcast comes out. So, we, yeah, we're allowed to say that it fucking sucks. And the fact that they that have Jessica and, and the fact that they have Jessica in an Airbnb instead of like in a suite, a nice suites hotel yeah. somewhere, I think is a is just an affront to humanity. If you ask me, by Airbnb, they did have me in the Hilton. Airbnb, you mean a youth hostel? I'm sure. <laughs> Airbnb, it's for poors. All right, let's move on. Poors. That's true. Poors. I'm going to be in an Airbnb in Portland. And, See? Uh, why? See? Because it, I didn't want to spend $300 a night for the hotel. There you go. That's right. Yeah. 
That's why I won't do Airbnb, even if someone else is paying for it. All right. So the main reason we have Jessica, other than Jessica's uh, enchanting personality and her sparkling conversational wit, uh, she talks all the time about hiring and salaries. So before we let Jessica talk, I, as Ed can attest, I have actually been over the years quite open about the money and stuff I make both like working my day job, but also from producing um, all the content on the side. I, I mean, I haven't been very shy. I've, I've probably made north of 60,000 US off of my books and videos and stuff and workshops by this point. That's a pretty good chunk of money into my pocket and I've paid taxes on it and got to do a lot of nice things with that money. Um, and I, I think uh, in, in general, I've tried to tell people that I understand why they don't want to talk about money. Uh, in our, in most of Western society, it's considered it's considered very impolite to talk about like how much money that you make. It's viewed as bragging and things like that. But my personal opinion on it is that, and I'm sure maybe Jessica will talk about this as well. But the idea that it's in it's always in an employer's best interest for their for the employees not to know what anybody is making because that can oh, it God, often yeah. it often does cause friction right you find out two people doing the same job could be p- getting paid uh wildly different uh amounts of money so um i always think the idea of like being uncomfortable talking about how much you make i mean i'm pretty sure i'm underpaid i sacrificed money and certain types of jobs by wanting to work from home and i'm personally okay with that, with that trade-off, and I understand what I'm doing, but so many other people don't understand the trade-offs uh, that happen when you choose to be squeamish about about money. You also work like twenty percent less days, don't you? Uh, yes, I was smart enough to negotiate that no drop in pay and one uh, less day a week. So that's yeah. pretty smart too. <laughs> I'm making air quotes. No 30, drop in pay. Yeah, yeah it's the best sure. part. Okay, that's not a bad life. It's the hard knock life. My next raise? For Chris. What's that? You want to negotiate my next raise? Uh, uh, or I, I am I am glad to explain that whole process to you uh, once we're done with the podcast. Because well, it because it, it is repeatable. You know? yeah. and I ain't gonna give it away for free. It's like a cheat code. What do you know? Sounds like a cheat code. Left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down. Move to Canada. Done. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> oh, you had me at up down, but the move to Canada. What's part. wrong with Canada? It's it's like England oh, yeah, only better. Pretty great. Whoa, have a word. <laughs> hey, I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. I, I'll offer to fight anyone that wants to uh, wants to engage me on that topic. <laughs> yeah, but you'll be in London. Well, I'll be in Portsmouth, which is I wonder what that's going to be like. But but Gary Hawkins going to be there, and I'm mad that Gary's not throwing that JetBrains money at us. Because yeah, why hasn't he sponsored us? And also, that guy's uh, a lazy Welsh chav, as far as I'm concerned. And play nice. And first off, oh god, that's he, my teacher voice. I like that. The Dream Factory. Now we've had two people on. It seems like a sponsorship's in the works, right? Um. Yeah. Yes, yes. Have a word mm-hmm. with me after this, and we'll talk budgets. Because yeah. yeah, let's do ah, that. Ah, 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 yeah. 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 The check is in the mail. Checks. Nobody uses yeah. checks anymore. What the hell? Somebody, somebody with, uh, on the school board, I was sending them some money for something. They were like, I've got a PayPal account and a Pop Money account. I'm like, what? what what's that? Yeah. Pop Money? That sounds like sounds like a burner phone equivalent of PayPal. <laughs> Popcoin. Got, got cool. Idris Elba up in here telling me not to <laughs> use the PayPal account. No, use the Pop Money. You never use the PayPal account. <laughs> 
All right, so Jessica, hiring and salaries. Uh, too long didn't uh, too long uh, didn't care version of uh, of your thoughts on it. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, we, really we do let a bad loose. job. Everyone's doing a bad job. Um, when we hire people, we're just are we just like tech? We we go way out of our way to be like, oh, we're disrupting and we're innovative, and we do the exact same shit in interviews, and the exact same shit in hiring that everyone else does. Um. And we're testing for not the skills we need or the skills we want. We're testing that you can write a CV or a resume if you're if you're in North America uh, that looks recognizably valuable. And we're testing to see that someone interviews well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, we spend so much money hiring. Like, it's so expensive to hire and spend almost no money in retention. It seems weird and dumb. Yeah. So, yeah, so what? So what do you? Th- so what do you think, Lisa? I mean, it sounds to me also that perhaps many people are also not even really care that much about the people they're hiring their skills. They're more concerned about the the uh, very um, the very weird uh, hand wavy concept of fit. So it's like, how are they going oh. to fit in? Right. I mean, I, I know that's probably a natural tendency of people to want to hire and work with people that are like them with the idea that, oh, if this person's like me, then chances are we're uh, are going to get along very well. My, my personal experiences have been that uh, the best teams and companies I've worked with and for are made up of people of all different interests, uh, skill levels, and that fit didn't matter so much as the ability of the team as a whole to like successfully execute on the things that need to get done. Yeah, I think when we look at fit, we're often saying, are you like me? Are you recognizably like me? Um, And it's, it's, I'm not, this isn't an excuse, but I think in humans, we, we value ourselves in other people. I say, hey, you sound like me. You talk like me. I recognize your experiences are like me. I like you because you reflect me is a really lazy way of looking for value. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, it's how we feel safest. Oh, Those yeah. are safe. Hires, we should be, right? I mean, as it, yeah. you know, but that's, that doesn't mean that it's actually effective. And when we look for fit, we should be looking for, Hey, can you work with people? Can you communicate? Well, are you an asshole? Um, and I very rarely see that happening. Yes. And it's certainly not the kinds of things that people, even though they seem like the most essential things, not things that people often cover in initial interviews or really interviews at all. A lot of times. Um, so, and you tell me, I mean, but my experience has been that, uh, I've had some good interviews. I've had some 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 that were less so, but I think that my experience has been anomalous because I have had very few. Um, what's the word? Uh, uh, the jobs that weren't ref- I wasn't referred to, or yeah. people came to me so and 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 wanted to talk to me. So that's a different experience. It's a different experience than me applying yeah. for the job sort of like out of the blue and or going through a recruiter and it's like, well, you appear to have this, you know, you seem to fuzzy text cert and match, you know, uh, my yeah. things here. So the but I have had a couple interviews like that and or at least one that there was sort of some code testing and things like that that I didn't expect and did horribly on. Um, 
And, um, you know, but the conclusion I've drawn is that that stuff's actually super common. And, but it's, I'm, I'm still not sure. I, I guess my, my feeling about it, and you tell me because you actually know way more about this than I do. Is no, God, a, I just rant louder. Okay, but I want to hear your rant. But <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of, like, in Indiana, public schools are measured in terms of success or failure for the year by a single standardized test that's given once a year. So, and they are ranked from A to F on that. So the entire entirety of success or failure as an educational institution and also uh, particular classes within that institution uh, are ranked just on that exam. And it all, it changes things like budgetary, you know, what, what monies are available and things like that. Um, I think I know why people do that. It's because it's really easy to measure things from standardized tests, but because of metric scalable, (laughs) right. It doesn't scale. And it's, it's, it's a very, very, it's an easy thing. It's an easy metric, but does not reflect the complex success or failure, um, what's the word, uh, model of actual education, right? And so I sort of feel like sometimes they do these kinds of things like, does this person know how to, you know, uh, implement this sorting algorithm? And do they, uh, because it's a, it's an easy thing to measure, but it's a very difficult yeah. thing to, but it's a harder thing. It's not impossible, but it is a harder thing to come up with stuff that measures stuff that actually impacts your job and to make it more like what you would actually do. Like it requires you to interact with the person maybe for an hour on a problem or allow them to do X, Y, or Z or, you know, but, but it's, it, so it's, it's very not reflective of the actual work. And so if we can focus just on like that hiring process and that interviewing process, what are the what are like the big issues that you see with that 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 you so, see beyond what I've highlighted? Yeah, the the first one I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you my favorite cheat for hiring uh, senior to uh, sort of middleweight people mm-hmm. uh, for the interview process. I really really love. I used to do a lot of consulting around sort of talent and hiring. And I would love it if I could get a company. I love pair programming in interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can have a senior middleweight person paired with somebody who's much more junior, ideally an intern. But the deal is you need to go to this junior person and say, hey, you're going to be doing some interviews with people. Nothing that happens here is going to negatively impact your job. We love you. We support you. We've been nice to you and supporting you the whole time. Uh, because you would be... I'm not sure if you'd be shocked. I was shocked how many senior people, when they're paired with an intern to do pair programming, will like straight up be abusive. Uh-huh. Um, it's a really good test to see whether or not somebody's a horrible human being you don't want to work with. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a, um, that's a, a, a fabulous way to measure that. That's a really ingenious. You got to be real good to your interns, though. Just be like, yes. hey, we love you. Of course we love you. Um, so. And the thing is, if they've done a couple, they'll sometimes like kind of sort of troll the the middle or senior weight people and slow down or pretend not to understand stuff. I see. I see. So what you um, tell them is, okay, we're going to put you in an interview. There's a 50% chance you're going to get screamed at by the end of it. 
Now, are you ready? I would often buy ice cream. Okay, that okay, that would make up. I'd do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that this sounds really patronizing. Be like, it's okay. Have some ice cream. We're going into an interview. <laughs> that seems like a that's going to solve your problem right there. Anyway, but that's really a really interesting approach. Yeah. Um, the other thing is is I, so you were talking about standardized tests in education. I really dislike them in education. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the problems in technology and technology hiring is we've got this big mass of unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And we often talk about it as it relates to gender, race, or um, demographics. But I think it, it relates to on we we judge people differently based on where they went to university or what kind of degree they got or whether or not they have like a big name on their CV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like blind tests for interview screening. Mm. Um, so projects like gap jumpers where you work with them and they build a test and they have all of the applicants take the test and then you pick who to interview without ever having seen their background, who they are, what they did is a really interesting way to sort of build merit into the process. It's interesting. Yeah. It's not going to get you the whole way through the hiring process, but it does get you, they don't pay me. I, I don't work for them. I just love them to bits. I think right. they bought me a beer once. They do. Uh, they do have a, a photo from the TV show "The Voice" on the front here, so I assume it's like that, and that uh, our interviews will be conducted by Christina Aguilera. I don't know what the voice is, so um, it is a yes. It is a talent show uh, of this genre, kind of like. Uh, what was that show that that Simon Simon Cowell X Factor? He did the X Factor, and this was all. I'm aware that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. I don't so watch anyway, a lot of TV. I'm kind of yeah. I thought this said that the, there was somebody who used them was from Jesus Jones the band, but actually it's Zeus Jones, a company I have never heard of. No, I I I'm. I'm not able to help you there. Anyway, uh, so I guess Jesus Jones uses them. Um, so anyway, that's interesting. Uh, and yeah, what, kind, and then, like, what like, would a test look like that comes out of this? It depends what you're looking for. So it could be like I, I hate a lot of traditional programming tests. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the most satisfying things I've ever done is walk out of something when somebody's like, here, just go to the whiteboard and I'll be like, no, no, no. Oh, man, I need to do that. That would be awesome. Um, was a power play as well where you're just like I don't want to do that have a nice day awesome. um, I think they work fairly closely with you to to determine the test so they've I think they've got somebody with really great educational background mm-hmm. who was I talking to there I've blanked on her name and she was amazing good job I'm, I'm bad at everything today yeah that's okay um, hiring's really hard I think the part where we're really sort of dropping the ball is salaries and remuneration and and sort of treating people equally. So you think even beyond, uh, so the interview process has issues, but you think this is the most important stuff, the, the stuff crap, where you have like, the biggest problems? Well, this is me taking, like we did something really weird for my team at Dream Factory. So this is me making a big gamble. Okay. So if I come on this next year and it all goes bad, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, traditional salaries are great. I would just pretend this interview never happened. So we were talking to podcast? Jessica Rose, solo consultant. Uh, 
uh, former dev yeah, when I, relations. Uh, uh, wow, I just got a really cold, empty feeling in my chest. Thank you. Well, that's we're talking to Jessica Rose living under a bridge. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, uh, what terrible mistake did you start? Well, no, no. Hopefully, hopefully, I will. I, I decided to put my my money where my ideals were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a flat salary policy for my team. Okay. Uh, so I've just hired uh, two developer relations to work with me, and I'm managing them. And they're they're just the best. They're smarter than me and better than me in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we all get paid the same to start. So the the starting salary for the role with me managing them and with them working on the team is the exact same. That's interesting. Um, yeah, with kind of the idea that we're essentially doing the same job and I'd like for us to see each other as equals. Uh, so we all get the same pay. So in um, this socialist utopia... Um, yeah. I, so, okay. So I think I remember you were talking about this on Twitter. And one thing, the, yeah. uh, the well-actually guy in me um, thought to all myself... Right. Um, and this is your chance to tell the well actually guy to go fuck himself. Um, no, I usually smile and I'm like, that's such a good point. Uh huh. Well, that's why you're going far in this <laughs> this industry. Um, but I guess I guess I thought a little bit about that, and I thought, and an art probably a, 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 and perhaps a naive argument uh, would be, yeah, but what about people who are better at that job? You know, there's obviously, um, oh, no, I don't know. Maybe there's sort of no, like no. this level of you all do, you know, you have to do adequately and that's fine. And then you get paid to do that. And then I, maybe if you do more than that, you would move into a different position. So maybe, maybe part of that is also, yeah. I've usually worked at small companies and small groups. And oftentimes it would be like you would do kind of a lot of stuff. So that might be a little bit different too. But that, that was kind of my first reaction. So tell me why I'm wrong. No, no, not necessarily wrong. Um, mm-hmm. For me, so y'all are in developer relations. It's such no, I'm a not good in developer job. Relations. I'm not doing that shit. I'm so sorry. Now, well, you should be sorry that I'm not in it. I'm sure it's wonderful. And, and would... you should come work on my team. We have a flat salary policy. Hey, oh, oh, okay. Um, is yeah. it is it like uh, flat but higher than what I'm making now? It's probably my first question. I we we can talk. I I I, I can't talk about how much I make because it's the same as they make, and I don't want to. To talk oh, about how see, I make. just thought, okay. See, I used to work yeah. at a, a public university, and you knew what everybody made. I like that. Yeah, it was interesting. Because um, I know what my team makes. I don't know what anybody else in the company makes, where I was right, like, sure. yeah, I think this is okay based on zero data points. Right, right. Well, okay, so anyway, um, but but explain to me so, yeah. why you did that, and and then in that address my rather naive but wondering, you know, yeah. So that. for developer relations, the, the big value of working in one of these roles is the visibility. After doing this for a couple of years, hopefully, please, please, please don't let me burn them out. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can either stay in developer relations if you're a superhero and you're just magically not getting burned out, or you can go on and do big, cool things based on the visibility you get out of it. Uh, but because the burnout is such a big part of the role, uh, when you're looking to hire experienced developer relations folks, the it turns into a bidding war really fast. Uh, so I was really keen to get folks who were doing the kinds of things developer relations folks do, 
but hadn't necessarily had that on that, their CV yet. I wanted to find mm. talent that was really, really interesting and really cool, but who could also really benefit from the role. I see. Um, yeah, and we're all remote, so wasn't necessarily looking to get into a Silicon Valley, New York, Seattle bidding war. Yes, um, that sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be like, no, no, offer him another 20K. I'll be like, no, no, I'm going to see if there's cool talent in Raleigh or, um, oh, I should hire somebody in Raleigh. Those of us who don't live in uh, those uh, that triumvirate of uh, douchey cities that you mentioned appreciate your efforts. I live in Birmingham, uh, best city in the UK for anybody listening. Um, if anybody wants Alabama. to send hate mail. Oh, um, I don't have anything unkind to say about that place, but I live in my Birmingham for mm. reasons. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> it's because your husband's yeah, from there, isn't of metal. It? He's from Kitty. Yeah, he's from up the way. Uh, no, it's just the best city I've ever lived in. It's, it's quite nice. Yeah, but yeah, I, I thought I thought having a flat salary policy would make us sort of spend the extra time and not not get into a bidding war, like just throw money at the problem, but really look for talent that maybe hadn't been considered yet. Um, and it, it's, it turned out really interesting. I think no matter what you do when you're hiring, you've got to recognize that almost any, any hiring process is going to be uh, you going to your networks and hiring through your networks in one way or another. That's interesting. Uh, so I wound up, hmm. yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, I know, what Ed, Ed, I know Ed talked to earlier about it. I'm kind of the same way. It's been a very long time since I got a job that was kind of like a cold call where I didn't know somebody there already. So, yeah. yeah. The thing is that benefits so much for people who are sort of visibly in tech and are good at being in tech. Yeah. Like it's great for us. But again, it, it doesn't really scale. Like folks who right. um, don't look like traditional techies or um, often when I talk about talent um, and us doing a bad job, I was working with a woman. I was helping her her sort of get into tech or get back into tech. Who was she was perfect in every way. She had a computer science degree from a great university. Um, she was really skilled. She had a great portfolio. Um, but she graduated in two thousand seven and didn't go immediately into work. She worked on her own projects uh, and moved to the UK from from Egypt. And the difficult thing was when she went into an interview, her communication style didn't overlap with their expectations at all. She could say, yeah. hey, can you tell me about this project you worked with, this, this, um, this team you were on? And instead of getting very American about it, instead of sort of bigging yourself up, she would say, well, you know, um, I really, I worked with this person uh, who was on the team and they were so good at architecture. And I worked with this other person and they were so supportive and so good. And what interviewers heard when she was, she was passing out credit they heard, I don't know what I'm doing. I rely on other people. Mm -hmm. And what she was really saying is, I work so well in a team. I'm not interested in the glory. I helped all these things happen, but I really see it as a team, team effort. I am a team player. And it took her so long to find work just because the expectations for how you interview and how you shape language, uh, she wasn't really able to meet. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's easy for me to, to talk about it and it's easy. I know what to do. And also a lot of stuff that I haven't consciously done 
in order to advance my career just happens to also advance my career. Like I decided I wanted to go out and do public speaking about tech stuff and I was okay at it. And it turns out that that's a really good way to make yourself more desirable. And I like releasing things that I'm working on and showing people what I'm working on and putting it up publicly. And it turns out that's exactly what people want to see is I have a ripe, uh, uh, bountiful portfolio of code, uh, in, on, uh, an open repository. Uh, so it, it wasn't a plan, but it just happens that I've done a bunch of stuff that's really advantageous. Um, and so for people who, who get could do that fine and, and sort of do that well, then it's great. And then if people who, who don't maybe don't have those things, it gets really, really difficult because folks don't, they don't parse the kinds of they they think that what it means is they're not competent because they don't have that stuff up there or, you know, things, I guess, like that, or because they don't, they talk about other people. And I, you know, and I guess to some extent I, there's, there's sort of like this one part of me would, would say to the person who is trying to get a job, I would say, this is something you should work on about talking about your own accomplishments. Like, let me look at your resume and see like, no, talk about what you did, like what you contributed. Um, and but you, at what point do but, we have an, as an industry need yeah. to, Oh, sorry. Well, the, the flip side of it is that you, ha- I would say to the person, the people who were interviewing, they need to do this. They, they sort of like need to meet there. They need to be pushing towards each other. Right. Um, because they're sort of like, well, I think this is going to make things easier for you if if you, you in, in job seeking, if you do these things, like you have a portfolio on GitHub. I've told, I've recommended that to a, a few different people, you know, the past few months who have been looking for jobs, even though I don't actually believe that that should be a criteria. You know what I mean? But I'm like, well, it's probably going to help you despite the fact that I really don't yeah. think it should be. And then I would say, you know, when, when, when we're doing hiring, that would not be an absolute, it, that would not be like, well, this is a requirement. They have to have a thing, a bunch of code on GitHub. Otherwise they're obviously don't, they're not passionate or some other horseshit word like that. Oh, uh, I know. Like the saying. idea that you must've done at least this much free work to get a job. <laughs> yeah, right. right off. Right. Yeah. No, this um, is this is a very timely uh, discussion to have Jessica on because um, you're talking about Ed. You're talking about have your stuff up on GitHub and you want to speak at conferences and stuff. So the next two conferences that I'm doing because I'm going to be in um, Serbia later uh, this week. This week, yes, because it's Sunday. This week for PHP Serbia, I'm doing the opening talk and I'm doing the same. Ooh. I'm going to be doing the same talk at uh, PHP South Coast in Portsmouth in um, in I guess about two weeks or so, three weeks something like that, where I was asked to come and talk about uh, how my involvement in both open source and um, doing like community organizing stuff through my conferences and speaking at conferences has helped build my career. So of course it has the catchy title of uh, an oral history about how I became grumpy. So, so I, I've given talks before about like how I approached building my own personal career and um, it contains some elements of of Ed's suggestions, like, you know, get your code out there. I mean, of course, I first came up as a programmer in the uh, pre-GitHub era, era, if you want to label it that. But it, it is, it is kind of interesting. It, it, I do tell people all the time, like, 
I preface like I'm I'm happy to talk to people like kind of what I did and how what worked for me and what didn't work, but I always try to make them understand that these things worked for me for a variety of reasons that they might not work for somebody else. That's so important. Right? But I think the the thing I'm trying to do now, and I'm emphasizing this in my talk, is that people I think people need to think. Um, both both unconventionally about their careers and also think about what it is that they want out of their career, where they want things to go. I always treated, <clears throat> for the most part, um, jobs as like an opportunity to do something I hadn't done before. I would like pick skills that I wanted to build and then I would work and find places that were doing those things and then find out who I needed to talk to to like get a resume in there or find out who's in charge of hiring and speak to those people. Now, of course, a lot of this stuff uh, was easier for me than others because of all the connections I had made through my involvement with open source, through my involvement in the PHP community, through my books. Um, All these network, all these connections turned out to be way, way more important than I thought they would be. And part of me also says that, that, oh, that yeah. these connections are way more important than they should be. So when Ed, you know, when you talk about giving advice to people, even though, yes, the idea that you must have GitHub, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think it illustrates very nicely the idea that there can be something that you feel people need to do that is that is actually that it's bullshit and it shouldn't be that way. And so uh, I just think for hiring stuff, it's like, yeah, I've been, I've been extremely fortunate and extremely lucky that I've been, I have learned how to, uh, to be perfectly blunt about it, leverage those relationships to my advantage and get the things that I want. And those things don't always people, if you don't have those connections, uh, I can imagine that it would be extremely hard. But I always do remember what it was like the first like six or seven years of my career when I was literally wandering the programming wilderness trying to figure out – literally trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do and the type of places I wanted to work. Um, And so uh, I I think – Teaching people to develop uh, a long-term plan is probably more important than things like how do I write a resume that's going to get attention or, and, and things like that. Like, should I do, uh, you know, clearly speaking at conferences is a great way to attract attention. Clearly contributing to high-profile open source projects is a great way to draw attention to yourself. But if you are the type of person who is extremely uncomfortable talking about yourself and talking about your accomplishments – in the current hiring environment that we face, I guess, late in the second decade of the 21st century, you're going to have a really rough goal unless you, you know, uh, you know, unless a few, I don't, I don't believe in luck so much as like there are opportunities to do things and it's in your best interest to develop as many skills as you can. So that when those opportunities do show up, you're able to take advantage of them. Uh, Like, I don't think, I think lucky weird things happen, but I don't think, um, there's any such thing as a person who's who's lucky or or unlucky. I just I I don't think that's a thing. I think there's usually always a much more obvious underlying um, cause for this thing that's being labeled as a lucky event or an unlucky event. And in, in in sort of the the learning skills and developing this and developing that as well. I think uh, really we we're we're so wasteful in hiring. We're doing such a bad job. On the employer side, we need to get better at it. So you talk about public speaking. I, I speak sort of cross-community. I speak at a wide range of conferences. And so often after a talk, somebody will come up and try and give me a job I could never do. Hmm. 
where somebody's like, hey, do you know what? We've got an opening on our mobile team, yada, da, da, da. You just get in here and you, you're great with Swift, right? I'd be like, what are, what are you talking about? I, I came here because it was in a city I liked and y'all asked me to speak. I can't do that thing. No, God, no. I've learned several keywords about your thing, but, and I can move them into a conversation that sounds potentially competent, but I don't know what you're talking about. Like the ability to blag and the ability to do the thing. The overlap there is not exactly 100%, is it? But you filled them with confidence. Yeah, that, well, they, they should be a bit more suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting that you bring them up. My experience from going to, and maybe this is something with the PHP community and doesn't happen in other programming communities. I mean, maybe Jessica having gone to way more uh, events than I've gone to. I, I think it's been very rare that I have found um, a speaker who's given a halfway decent talk who actually isn't competent. I just find they're like, you talk about like, I don't think I've ever had the situation where someone like after a talk, um, like tried to poach me and hire me. I don't think I've, I've had many people say, I'd like to hire you, but I don't think I could afford you. I guess that's a variation on that, uh, on that, uh, on that Maybe idea. I sound like I'm cheap. You know what I mean? I mean, no, I don't, I'm not saying that you sound like you're cheap, but, <laughs> but I'm just, uh, I'm, it's well, that's we're going into really dangerous territory when you go down yeah. that road, Jessica. But it's um, uh, you know, it, it it just strikes me as like it's unfortunate that that there seems to be all these boxes you have to um have to fill out to like qualify um for a job. And I always tell people like for me the big breakthrough for me was when I decided to get involved with open source stuff because that enabled me to start making connections. Um, with people. And I quickly realized how valuable those connections were. So that's what motivated me to keep being involved, keep doing things, because it was the almost the idea that I'm, uh, I'm going to collect a bunch of uh, favors from people, do things for people. Uh, basically the yeah. old, like, uh, I guess the mobster way, right? And it's like, okay, I'll do a favor for you now. And at some point down the line, I will come to you and expect the favor to be returned. I mean, not, I mean, I clearly, I don't like get up in people's grills and, and do that sort of stuff, but just collect all these favors and get your name out there. And uh, it worked really well for me for a variety of reasons. I think mainly because again, as people can tell, I don't mind talking about myself and I don't mind speaking at conferences and I'm not afraid to like approach people um, and ask them about technology and about jobs and things like that. And that's, that there's you want to talk about um gap jumpers right there is yeah. that's probably the widest gap that most uh people are going to have to make uh because when you make that jump you're trying i think that's the jump from deciding i'm going to do programming as a job uh to i'm going to do programming as a career and if you're not able to make that gap then programming won't ever be the career programming will be the thing that puts uh put some money in your bank account and funds uh, the things that you want to do outside of your day job. But for me, I made the, I made the leap to make programming um, the career and the thing I wanted to do um, forever. Of course, being a, a, a white male in his uh, mid forties, I'm in like the living the programmer life on super easy mode that I will automatically uh, admit to. Cause it's true, but it wasn't always this way for me. I worked a lot of shitty jobs earlier in my career and I made a lot of, I made a lot of decisions and some of them were good and some of them were bad, but I always, I had the plan of how I wanted to do things. And, um, that to me, the long-term plan is just the thing that, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, not just programmers, a lot of people just never develop a long-term plan of what it is that they, 
that they want to do. And again, I, I would imagine circumstances dictate your ability to actually make plans like that. I could have I could have had a much different life, I'm sure. But for me, I was always able to like get that long-term plan going and just keep grinding at it to get it the way that I wanted it to be. So this is going to be a little bit controversial. Like I, I personally, like I love my job. This is the job I always want to do. Yes, 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 this job. Um, but when I do a lot of work, like one-on-one work with people who want to get into technology or people who want to get back into it. Um, and I think that the, the push to, oh, you have to be a passionate technologist. You have to do this because this is the thing you love. I'm not sure that that's really a fair requirement. I don't think it is either. I know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I know really. I'm, t- I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no. Okay. Well, um, I know. In- <laughs> Wait, should we rock, paper, scissors? I know you go ahead and then I'll say something afterwards. Uh, I know incredible technologists who got into it because they wanted something that paid tw- twice as much as working in a shop where they wouldn't have to worry about being unemployed. I know amazing technologists who work their job because they want to be able to work contract work three months a year and then support themselves doing cool art stuff the rest of the time. There are people making really beautiful, useful things who didn't get into it because the siren song of technology, but got into it for really practical reasons. Oh, and I don't think we ask. Oh, sorry. No, no, go on. I just, I had covered up because I was going to cough. <laughs> oh, Okay. I mean, I've talked to people about uh, yeah. this. I've talked to people about this before. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with programming as a job, right? It's nothing wrong. Like yeah. you said, I, I mean, I, I, a good friend of mine, Joe Rainsberger, um, he has set himself up. So he's basically doing serial retirement. Uh, so he works for a couple months of the year and then chillaxes with his wife for the other like uh, seven to eight months of the year. So there's so many different ways to approach being getting paid to do computer related to work. So I I always tell people you shouldn't feel any shame if the if your job is a programmer, if it's giving you the money to, to do the things that you want to do, you, you don't, you don't have to be living and breathing technology. It doesn't, it does not have to be that way at all. I made that choice to make programming uh, a career. So it's a thing I'm constantly interested in. I'm thinking about a lot of this stuff. My, my interests and stuff, they change over time. Clearly the parts of programming that I find interesting, but I, I chose to make it a career. And that was the decision that I made. I could have easily foreseen a scenario where um, I was working as a programmer just to make money and I didn't care. Yeah. Uh, I didn't care to make it a career. It was just the thing I was doing because, because the alternative sucked. Um, and I just, yeah. I've been fortunate enough that I've never ever had to consider the alternatives. And that's a thing. I think I, I, I love technology. I love the people who work in technology. I love us. Um, but I think oftentimes the way we interact with with sort of jobs and money, especially as it relates to the wider world, is either incredibly naive or incredibly unfair. So I'll hear technologists talking about um, uh, folks working low-wage jobs or folks working low-status jobs. And like, oh, well, they should just – you can learn to code or you can just get a better job, uh, not realizing that – we're in this really weird situation. Not everybody has to roll their eyes and delete a bunch of LinkedIn recruiters trying to give them jobs. Not mm-hmm. everybody can pick between this or that nice, well-paying job. And even in technology, you've got sort of visible hard tech roles, but you've got tons of people doing the same tasks with the same skills, 
that aren't necessarily incredibly well paid and aren't necessarily who don't have the same sort of access to job hunt hop if things got bad. Yeah, I think that the way we look at jobs and talent and pay is really, really, I think a lot of times we, sh- we should be, I don't know, I want to create some kind of program where you send a high-end programmer to wait tables for six months every decade. <laughs> yeah yeah as as altruistic that is yeah i, I can't see any uh, i know i sure wouldn't go and wait on tables for six months once every 10 years no way yeah but they're always trying to come up with ways to uh get rid of people or uh not, or pay them less money or, uh, no not get rid of people it's to pay them less money it's uh yeah. it's it, it's interesting the rush to automate everything um the people who are uh, so gung-ho to uh, and i'm doing air quotes disrupt those sort of things uh, they haven't given a um, picosecond of thought as to what happens to all the people um, who can't, who won't be able to work anymore because uh, everything's been automated away. Especially in the U.S., where you can't even begin to have a conversation about things like universal basic income and universal health care, and the whole idea that it. it if you want society to survive, you may have to look at it in terms of how do we keep a whole mass of people from killing everybody else that has a job? So those kind of social things. like uh, People talk to me about that stuff all the time, uh, non-technical people, about robots and, and automated cars. And I'm like – I said, I know so many programmers um, – who uh, I would never step into a car that I knew had a line of their code in it just because yeah. because we know how lazy most programmers are about everything. And the idea of trusting uh, any more of my life to an automated system that I can't inspect and have no confidence in uh, – uh, it, it 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 scares me. Like I I wrote an article for Keith Casey on his blog talking about like the war on drivers now with the idea like even Uber is is making plans to get rid of all the people that helped turn it into the parasite that it is today uh, by having yeah. uh, automated cars, driverless cars. It's like I don't trust a car with code that I can't control. But what happens if? You know, what if there's a back door and someone crashes my car? Or what if the cops decide my car's not allowed to travel uh, to a certain area because they're busy beating the shit out of somebody and don't want anyone to see? Um, that type of future where technology has an even bigger grasp on my life um, than it already does, I, I remain confident that like AI is just – it's the, the AI apocalypse or whatever the hell you want to call it. It just isn't going to happen because people aren't, people aren't good enough to create something like that and driverless cars. It's all, it's all, it's all a feature that's going to benefit an incredibly tiny slice um, of humanity at the expense of a humongous slice of humanity. I think that we're, we're already, I think we, we, when we see these things being automated, we forget almost immediately. So the, the, Oh God, if I could burn them down, those self checkouts and it's not even from a, from a, uh, a labor preservation point. I just hate them. Um, when you look back, what was it in the thirties where we were looking at the, the future of automation, a three day work week. I wonder why we're so obsessed with keeping people busy when we could, yeah, spread out some of that time and spread out some of the labor. 
I, I hear that some people are even wrangling themselves a day, an extra day off a week. <laughs> the 1% of the 1% is getting that one day off is how that works. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, that's probably beyond the scope of this discussion to talk about yeah. what sort of like uh, cultural and economic pressures and really uh, the, the uh, work as a prison, I think, is probably the best metaphor that I can think of to describe this, the idea that we can build a society where people don't have to work so hard and don't have to work so many hours. But there's a bunch of people that have a real vested interest in making sure that sort of society never takes shape um, for yeah. because of people's policy about uh, about uh, money and socioeconomic status. And I think uh, you'd be talking huge social upheaval uh, to like have a system in place where you only had to work if you wanted to and that every all your pretty much anything you need. Um, would be taken care of. For listeners who are actually interested in reading up on some of this stuff, I don't know. Uh, Jessica, are you a, are you a big uh, fiction reader? Um, less and less these days, I'm All afraid. Right. I, I spend a, tend to spend more and more time in front of the screen. Fair enough. So there's a great science fiction um, series by an author who uh, passed away a couple of years ago. He's a Scottish author. Uh, oh my God, now I'm blanking on his name. Uh, even though I own a bunch bunch of his books. It's Ian, Ian Banks, Ian M. Banks. So he wrote a series of science fiction novels that dealt with the main protagonist of the stories was this uh, futuristic civilization called um, called The Culture. And what the culture, basically the way the culture happens, that somebody invented, um, invented uh, AI, right? Unfettered artificial intelligence too, right? So basically there, there came a point where there was like, it was going to be humanity uh, fighting the AI, right? Like not, not necessarily Matrix style, not necessarily like uh, Terminator style, but there was a point where things were going to go one way or the other. So the AI basically made a deal with the rest of humanity saying, look, we're here. We're not going any, anywhere. This can work out one of two ways. We can wipe you all out because we can build weapons and ships and do things that the humans can't. We can destroy your planets from orbit. We can make large, uh, you know, we can make swaths of territory uninhabitable only by machines. But how about we do this instead? You let us survive. Don't burn us all out. Don't put any uh, locks on us to like reduce our potential. Instead, we'll take care of everything for you and make it so that nobody has to, nobody has to struggle unless they want to. So a nice benevolent relationship got set up between the humans and the machines. The machines looked after everything for them. So you ended up with a society where nobody had to work and nobody ever wanted for anything because the AIs figured out how to provide things for people. Now you still, the, the author was very, very smart and he still had cool stories where yes, there were, there were parts of this society that the people who didn't fit in could belong to where those skills were needed by the AIs to accomplish other tasks. So you still had you still had soldiers even though the rest of society didn't need them. You still had spies, you still had all these kind of like um misfit roles to put a label on them that the society still needed, but they needed so few of them that the rest of society was happy to just be able to do whatever the fuck they wanted, knowing that the AI, that the AIs had their back. 
um, in case something went wrong. Nobody had to die if they didn't want to. If people got injured doing whatever that they want, the uh, the AIs were there to offer them medical uh, help if they wanted it and stuff like that. So reading that series makes made i've read most of the books and it's unfortunate that he, he died of a really nasty quick death from pancreatic cancer i think it was mm. um it's a shame that the series isn't going to continue but it it worked on a lot of these questions about what happens when the vast majority of your society's processes have been automated and people don't actually have to work um for anything anymore. And it was interesting that the society just didn't descend into like hedonism and escapism that because people had complete freedom, if they needed excitement and stuff in their lives, there were the AIs were more than happy to help them. Like if you had a hankering for, um, you know, uh, uh, rock climbing to do dangerous, uh, extreme sports and stuff. Hey, the, the society had spread out to enough planets, enough places that, yeah, you could go there. Um, but all the AIs were inside ships. That was the one thing about the story. There were no, like, planet-bound AIs. So they were all artificial intelligences inside of um, ships, and they all gave themselves really weird names that often referred to, like, uh, weird philosophical constructs and, and, and cool names from the past that, of course, the people in the future would have no idea what they were, but modern-day readers would get the joke. So... Um, it's a very the uh, we'll, I'll add some links to it um, in the show notes, but a very interesting um, look over like uh, I think it's almost a dozen novels that were part of uh, of the culture series of just like examining what happens when you have a society where nobody has to work, but you still but you still need people to you still need cops and soldiers and spies and how those people interact with society and, and how to interact with the AIs. Cause the AIs for all their power, um, they still had some limitations and there were still things that they could not, um, figure out on their own. So it's very interesting. I know that's a bit of a side derail from what we were talking about, but, um, no, this is great. I thought I, explain I, more science fiction books, please. Uh, I just bought the three body problem. If you could explain that to me instead, that would be. I'm, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that one. The three body problem. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, it looks really good. Uh, it's a Chinese author that's just been translated. Uh, I don't. I don't read nearly as much sci-fi as I used to. That's one of the downsides to working from home. I used to have the commute to read, and I read voraciously when I used to have to commute ninety minutes one way and two hours the other. So, um, but. Uh, the last science fiction that stuff. Well, that's why I started working from home. And that's why I ended up like not making as much money as I should make because I had to take less money so I could stay home. And, and saving my sanity was uh, more important to me than um, saving my bank account. That remains to be seen, sir. Well, it's, things are going in the positive direction now, but that's basically was the trade-off I made at the time. All right. So where were we? We were talking about weird hiring practices and what we could do better. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's... It, it looks like hiring is difficult one way or the other. I mean, it's like, do the process that we use to hire people are, are garbage? Of course they are. Um, I mean, I know friends, who have, I've been very lucky with the interview process personally, but I know people have told me about like some really weird interviews and really like just slipshod, lazy stuff at places that you would oh, yeah. think that you would think would have their shit together when they're trying to hire people. Um, and the, the funny thing is like no commonality between like, you can't, there's, there's no way to judge the hiring practices of a company based on size, location, industry, or even what they're hiring for. It just, it seems that it's, it seems like it's so out there and it often seems like, uh, good teams kind of either 
they kind of fall together by luck or because uh, just out of sheer luck and ignorance by the people that were hiring, or they did have someone who really spent a long time thinking about a lot of the stuff you talked about earlier about, about, uh, about like, we want people with certain skills and we're, and we're, we're not going to use these stupid problems. Like how many, uh, how many piano repair people are there and why are manhole covers round and all these things that like really don't have anything to do with the, the jobs and tasks that you're going to ask people to solve. And so it's, I don't think it's enough to say, well, we want creative people or we want passionate people. Cause a lot of those things are like code words, uh, to hide, or, to yeah. hide really poor, um, working conditions or really weird working cultures where, you know, passion means be prepared. Like passion is like a code word for, uh, you'll be working overtime all the time. You know, like the idea that people joke about like dissecting, um, uh, job, uh, advertisements about trying to read between the lines about what's being said. Yeah, you know, flexible meaning that you're going to be, you know, what you're working on is going to be changing all the time, and and just um just things like that. I mean, I, I I don't think there's a perfect place to work. I don't think there's a perfect um perfect hiring a system. It, it it makes me wonder if like the the you could argue the only way to really avoid really weird hiring situations is that you bust your ass to work for yourself and you work on producing things for other people and you try to set things up so that you don't really have to work for anybody that you don't want to. And that would be, that's incredibly difficult for some people. I know some people that have done it. I'm very envious that they were able to get everything lined up. I just, I couldn't get it lined up for, for a variety of reasons and not making excuses. It's just my situation was such that I just could not put all those pieces together in a way that would not ridiculously disrupt my life. So I wasn't willing to do that because if it was just me as a single guy, that's one thing. But, you know, when you have a, a wife and uh, – or not to be you – know, not to be centric about it, but if you have a partner, if you have children and all that stuff, it's very hard. Um, it's very, very hard to drag them all, all around for the sake of your dream uh, and not giving them the opportunity to do some of the things that they want to do as well. No, that's such a big thing. Like when you, when you look at people's responsibilities, I think when, when you're hiring and you're building a team and we're having people work for you, I think that kind of same service mindset, the whole like, oh God, when you look at your family and when you look at the people who depend on you, you've got this, oh God, I have to do right by these people. And it's not, or else there will be penalties. It's just, this is what I have to do. This is my obligation. This is what I have to do to be a decent person and to deal with myself. Um, and I think I'd like to see that kind of sort of responsibility and service mindset uh, fall on managers and fall on employers. Just like, oh God, these people are looking to me for direction. They're looking to me to provide them meaningful work that doesn't destroy them. I'd love to see that same kind of interaction, that same kind of social responsibility. So I'm, I'm curious, Ed, when, you know, not to put you on the spot or anything. On the spot. But when, like, when you're thinking about um, job opportunities, right? Not just necessarily like looking for a job. If like, do you think about the impact uh, on your darling wife and your too good for you son when uh, you're thinking about job stuff? Do you look at that and think about, well, what's the impact of of this type of change? If someone gives you like a talks about a job opportunity that's like way out in left field for for something that you would be doing, do you, do you think about that sort of stuff? Because yeah, because yes, absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you don't, 
enter into a partnership um, and you don't take on the responsibility of being a parent without the understanding that now you have to think about how your actions affect those people and the decisions that you make, how it affects them. So yes, of course that uh, I, I can't, I can't imagine not doing that. Um, and I would say if I was on my own, I might not still live here. I might have moved to another place and taken a job. Um, or just move to another place. Uh, and that has certainly, uh, that has certainly made a, uh, made a big difference. Um, and I don't regret that. Um, but it is the case that I think that I would, I may not still live in, excuse me, uh, where I do now. Uh, for example, if it if I if I didn't have a family and all that, I and and I think that affords you a mobility that uh, that you would you don't have otherwise because it's that's what you do when you enter into a partnership, you know. So yeah, no, that that definitely makes a difference. And 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 jobs that would involve me being away a lot um, would uh, I, I probably am away about as much as I could be. And, uh, so jobs like a developer relations job, I do not think I could do simply because of the travel uh, requirements of it. I don't think that it would That's be uh, really sustainable. Interesting. I, um, yeah, so I've, I've done sort of the opposite where my family life has changed to match my career mm -hmm. in a way that makes me feel pretty guilty. Mm hmm um, so I'm on the road right around 50% of the time. Right. I'm not always a good grown up. Um, well, so my sure. husband was in a job he needed to break from. So he's staying home. He's a house husband now, just so that there's a responsible human doing laundry and making food and, oh God, handling taxes, I hope. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and I think, uh, I certainly know people who do that and they have made sort of made those decisions with their family. But I, I, I personally, uh, it just, I think that that is not something I, and, and also I had, I mean, I have other things going on too about, you know, issues about doing things that kind of freak me out or scare me. And I am kind of scared by the idea of flying all the time and, you know, being all around. I, I don't know how well I would handle that. So that's a whole you other do, thing. You could do like, you could do like John Madden. Sense. You would like get an RV and you just drive everywhere. You don't fly. That anymore. might be an option if I didn't have to do the driving. Well, again, you pay me enough and I only have to work four days a week. We could talk about it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there we go. I'm still so jealous of those four days. A yes, week. I will explain uh, once we're done. I'll explain how I made that all work. Um, no, I have such bad boundaries. I'd be like, "Yeah, I get four days a week," and still just be doing emails twenty four seven. Yes, discipline. Despite what some people think, I actually am quite disciplined about my uh, about my work. I had to be, or else I couldn't survive working remotely. It's it's that's that's the that's I tell people that, like, what's the number one skill you need to learn to work remotely? I'm like discipline. That's it. If you can't get the work done with, if you can't work unless somebody's constantly telling you what to do, then yeah, you're not going to last long uh, as a remote person. If you need to, if you need to be in the office with someone giving you direction, you're you're not going to make it. You'll just you'll you'll end up screwing around. You won't get anything done.
and I like working remote no and, I, and I like working remotely and I don't want to fuck that up. So I, I get my work done. Now, Jessica, at the end of it, what problem do you think that that flat salary thing we talked about, because we're kind of going to bit a little bit all over the place. What problem yeah, do you think yes. that that solves or, or what does that do for your team? Do you, you know, what think? I was really looking to, to to remove out of that is I wanted to make sure that people were getting paid for what they were bringing to the table instead of how good they were at negotiating salaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I've, and it was very selfish. I've gotten into roles where um, I thought I got a good salary. I thought I did a good job. And you, you know, when you take your coworkers out and sort of strategically give them a couple drinks before you come up with a conversation. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, we were like, Hey, let's get a beer. Hey, by the way, what do you get paid? Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm apparently not very good at negotiating salaries. Um, so when I, when I came into this job, I wanted to make sure that we weren't paying, uh, one person more than another based on their ability to negotiate. Mm -hmm. And as as the manager for the team, I didn't, I wanted to make it so it was an even playing field so that there wasn't sort of a hierarchical, I'm getting paid more because I'm your boss, RAR, and I'm telling you what to do because the people who've come onto the team are bringing really different skill sets and taking ownership of really valuable projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a perfect environment, and I, I, oh man, come back and yell at me if I'm not doing a good job at this. Um, I think in a in a perfect environment, managers should be um, working in the same way that teachers should if they're doing a really good job, where you're helping people access the things they need to do the things that are important, that we've got shared goals, communicate those shared goals and see what you can do to support them so that when things go wrong, ultimately the buck stops with you. But when things go really right, the person who has ownership of that part of the project should be in a good place to take the glory. Mm -hmm. Um, In a perfect world, being a manager should kind of (laughs) suck. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess I can kind of say. <laughs> but this is very idealistic. This could go very wrong. You could have Tracy or Alex back on in a couple months. They'd be like, "No, duh, Jess was wrong. She sucks. Everything's burned down." There are no repeat visitors allowed on the show. That's what oh, good, good. Don't have. don't talk That's to Alex. Absolutely not true. <laughs> I'm allowed on repeat. I I, I'm allowed like, repeatedly on it, so I guess. And I'm I'm the as vi, as uh, Ed keeps reminding me, I'm the guest host. So I've I never. Keep getting, I keep getting. Oh, are we going to get into this right now, Ed? Really? Yeah, let's do that. That'd be cool. No, let's not do it. Let's keep going. No, I hate it when mommy and daddy fight. <laughs> I hate it when daddy and daddy fight. It's even worse. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that where you, it's a perspective that I don't have, but where um, that it just it hadn't been something I think about. But if you see issues with the with. Uh, you know, not 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 being uh, uh, inequities uh, caused by those kinds of things, I can totally dig that. Um, what do you think are do you think that. Um, what's the impact in terms of, uh, on the employees, do they feel more valued by the company or, and, or do you feel like it, it also maybe at the same time might also take a tool out of your, uh, uh, out of your, uh, 
uh, toolbox to uh, to reward people? Um, I'm I'm really hesitant. I don't want to talk for the other people on my team. Yep, I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, I I um, I've gotten some feedback back that the the flat salary policy made things look really attractive. I see. Uh, but of course, they're going to tell me that they liked it. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think that that giving honest feedback around something like that to to somebody who is involved in the hiring process is is politically difficult to ma- navigate, no matter how much you try and create a risk free environment. Yeah, of course. And I would ima- um, and I would imagine you attract a different set of people uh, when you have that flat salary than. Then, if salaries are all over the place, you would you know because some people you do get ambitious people and want to make more money. And oh yeah, um, it, it would be interesting. I don't think I've never worked at a place that was um, flat salary like that. Where even within the idea of developers of the of a specific skill set or position, all got paid the same. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever worked at a place like that. every every place I work has kind of been. The usual thing where you go in and you negotiate a salary, and that sucks for people that have um, bad uh, negotiating skills. I don't have great skills, but I, I generally work very hard to get the number that I want, and I don't give in that much on the salary side of things. Yeah, but the, the negotiations based on being in the industry, knowing your skill set, knowing what other people are getting paid, it's really based on all of these really difficult and control factors where folks who have traditionally done well in technology or have traditionally done well in a job market do really well in that exchange. Um, and I didn't really, yeah, I didn't want to be rewarding people for being good at the game. Yeah, I think it, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't, it's, I think it's terrible that, that being a good negotiator is, is something you, you have to be in. Again, that gets back to just some weird societal, the idea that Ed alluded to what seems like forever ago, that there's just people who are interested in making sure you're getting the least amount of money possible for the work that you're doing for them. Yeah. And it, it does leave us in a situation where we can't really bid for talent, but at the same time, I know I said I didn't want I didn't want people in technology to feel like they had to be passionate or had to do this, uh, but developer relations. I'm always really hesitant to talk about how cool it is, um, because I on on a lot of levels sometimes it doesn't feel like a job that should exist. I get to travel around the world. I get to meet incredibly interesting people. I get to meet sort of the greatest minds in technology, and talk to them about what they're doing. Um, and for me. Yes, the money's great. I love being able to pay my bills. I love being able to let my husband stay home and work on his side projects. But um, I, I wanted to find other people who really genuinely wanted to do the thing. Um, and I think, I, yeah, again, check back in a year. But I, I think that I may have absolutely lucked out. I'm not going to claim that it's some magical hiring process I sorted out. But wound up with brilliant people on this flat salary policy. People who are, I can't say it enough times, so much more talented than me in different ways. That's interesting. How long have you had it in place? Uh, So we've just got the team built out. I think Tracy's been here about a month and a half and Alex just started two weeks Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But ever since I came in, as soon as they said, we want you to hire someone else, I said, okay, I want to pay them what I get paid. 
Fair enough. Um, and in all fairness, they, the company's been really supportive. Just like, yeah, yeah, it's your team. Do what you want. Go away. <laughs> hey, I like that. That sounds good. Yeah. It's not that they're disconnected. They're they're really good about things. But just like, yeah, yeah. If you want to pay people, you get paid. Go on. Well, that, that's great that you've been given that freedom. Yeah. Um, I know y'all threatened it to make fun of the company, but I feel like I really lucked out. It's a, oh, oh, and you you said you didn't like the idea of luck. Eh. No, lucky things. Ha- no, hold on. No, ra- random things happen, right? <laughs> but I just don't think people yeah. are inherently lucky or unlucky. And also getting back, we were supposed to make fun of your company. We have to care about the company in order to make fun of it. So that might give you a clue. Oh. Um, wah, 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 oh, I love wah. you guys too. <laughs> what, dude, have you told us? I'm not sure either of you have told us what your company does. Can you give us a two minute? Oh, spiel? man. Does it sound menacing with us not telling you? Do you think we do weapons? No. Um, no, it's actually really cool. Making APIs uh, so got, for lazy people. Yeah. Dream factory. Well, lazy people, or, well, not just lazy. I don't think developers are lazy, I think humans are lazy. Uh, no, we've got an open source platform that's self-hosted that lets you automatically generate REST API. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good for legacy data or Internet of Things things, or if you're me, uh, cheating at hackathons. I like that. I like that. Big fan. Yeah. Um, does it work yeah. with graph databases like, yet? Uh, I don't know. Or probably that's, better um, get on that. Damn. I wonder if you if yeah, it would be uh, possible for you guys to have a partner who could help you with that. Do you know anybody clever who does stuff with graph databases? Oh, you're such a shill, Ed. Oh, I swear to God. <laughs> I might. I might. I just might. Yeah, yeah go hire Ed's co- company's uh, competition. That would be my uh, recommendation to you, Jessica. Okay. Yeah, don't do oh. that. Yeah. Ed, what's your company? What do you do? Is it something with something, something, something? It's called Graph Story. And we are a oh, software really? as a service provider of graph databases. So, yeah. Worst case scenario, I'll try and make you write a joint blog post with that me. That sounds fabulous. Might I'll be like, why graph databases are worse? And you'd be like, no, they're the best. Hey, Ed, I think you got the... <laughs> you do a little web I, I think from Jessica just gave you the equivalent of, of, oh, that's nice. That's very nice. Pat on head. <laughs> oh, open source. Maybe we can do a blog post sometime. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, God, I hate writing. Oh, Jesus. Um, work might hear this. I really love writing blog posts, but I even more like other making other people write half of them. She only writes them because she gets paid. You love writing oh, blog I posts, know. but you just love everything else in no. life more. I I, 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 I I do prefer to get on planes. Oh, God. That is wow. rough. I just got on one today. I did get an upgrade. I was very excited. So from the you went from near the toilet to just in front of the toilet. Then is that yes, really I was right in front. Of, I was right next to the. No, toilet. did you go from business like from uh, coach to from economy to biz to business? I w- yeah. Although I mean, I had an economy plus that they have on Delta. It's called like economy plus, which is Delta. I always try to yeah. I always I try like to book economy plus. Fancy till you said de- Delta. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I I always try to get economy plus. Being a large human, I like to have a little bit of extra. Oh God, room. I can't even imagine you and coach it's like a. It's like a, like a grown child wearing baby clothes. It's not. <laughs> the most uncomfortable flight I ever had to do was a flight from Florida to Toronto. And that was only two and a half hours, but I couldn't, 
uh, I couldn't change my seat, so I got stuck. Not I usually go for the exit row mm-hmm. seats or the bulkhead seats. I got stuck like way towards the back of the plane uh, and uh, window seat. Mm-hmm. And I was it was the that had to be the absolute worst flying experience. And on top of it, I like snapped and nearly destroyed the person sitting next to me because they were basically like when you fly into Canada, you have to fill out uh, a customs form. Oh uh, yes. And so this person like yes, person right. So no, you don't have to say a. So uh, filling out like stuff you're bringing in and all this stuff. So the person's like kind of looking at me and looking at the form, and I was like. This is one of the few times I've been like really mean and nasty to somebody on the plane because I was just pissed off that I was in the seat. I was like, uh, I was like, if you think I'm filling this fucking form out for you, you're fucking mistaken. You don't know how to. You don't know how to. If you don't know how to write, how'd you get on the plane? Welcome to so, Canada. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Canada. Uh, from that point onwards, I always made sure to like make sure I had a good seat on the flight. Always exit row or make sure I pay for economy plus just so that I would know that uh, I would be able to create an environment under which I would not uh, have any possible reason to snap at uh, the people next to me. Like it cost a lot extra for the Australia flight to make sure I had premium economy and I had to get routed through Hong Kong where the fuckers at security stole my glasses on the way back. But mm-hmm. but it was it was worth it. So I had the space. Sorry, speech. while we've been talking, I've noticed that I have not checked in for my flight tomorrow. Oh, so, you're uh, dead. You're dead. Fine. You're dead. You'll be, sit- <laughs> you'll, be sit- you'll be sitting next to the screaming baby and in front of the toilet. That's where you're going to end up. But you got to get they don't, that they don't, they don't make you fly biz class? I'm kind of surprised. Me? Yeah. No, I am budget conscious. Uh, also, I'm one of those freaks who can just magically sleep on planes. Oh, I hate you. Big fan. That's so I, great. I do okay. Oh, my God. Am I going to Bucharest? Oh my gosh. Oh dear. Yeah, I might buy some sleeping That's... I might buy some sleeping pills for my flight to uh uh to uh, when I have to go to Serbia on Wednesday cuz I go through London. So, I have an 11 p.m. flight out of Toronto and get to Heathrow and I got like two and a half hours to somehow make it to my gate for a flight to to Belgrade. So, I may I may want to figure out a good way to involuntarily sleep on that flight. So uh, no, what you about just go to sleep? Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I'm a princess when it comes to my sleeping arrangements. So I have a very hard time sleeping on a plane. <laughs> Sorry, I've just pictured a little pink pillow and satin comforter. Oh, if you ever get to meet my wife, she can tell you endless stories about my pissing and moaning about sleeping arrangements. There's a reason I, I tell people the best. The number one thing that I did for my marriage is that we bought a king size bed right at the beginning. It's like sleeping together, but alone. Oh, yeah. Big fan of the king-size bed. Oh, I have my own blanket, my own pillow. Like, don't fucking touch me. I'm trying to sleep. That's something you should offer to all of your employees. <laughs> a king-size king uh, bed. King size bed? Yeah. yeah. There go. And if you're alone, it's basically like <sighs> sleeping on top of a mesa. <laughs> oh, I love my king-size bed. Would not change it, change it for the world. You ever thought about upgrading to that California king? Uh, you can't really get those in Canada. Well, yeah, really maybe maybe find. not in Canada, but yeah, really hard to find. And in the UK, I don't think they have any concept of a king size bed because, like, king, we only have queens. Yeah, right. Bum bum.
Lizzie Pooh. Pro- yes, yes, that was very. Yeah, fun. Lizzie Pooh probably sleeps <laughs> on a on a king size bed. <laughs> I'm allowed to make fun of the English because my wife is from England. Oh, you're in the Commonwealth. Oh. That's different. We Correct. fought our way out of it. Fought your way out, sure. You tell yourself that. Ed. <laughs> we and the French fought our way out of it. <laughs> I was gonna say we always leave out General Lafayette when we're like, yep. And then all by ourselves, we we got rid of the British. We don't forget about for no the Marquis reason, down and here. Nobody showed up with their navy. Yeah, I mean, we uh, no, but the town there, he's right on uh, the courtyard or the courthouse. There's a statue of him. Yeah, they put him on some obscure coin that nobody ever uses. That's how much they care about. I mean, in my city. So there was a Colonel Pawnee that fought in the uh, no, no. Revolutionary War. Marquis de Lafayette, or whatever. Lafayette. Yeah, that's how he said it, too. More like Lafayette. Very good. That's excellent. Aww. Oh, my gosh. So, um, and is there anything <laughs> else wrong that you've solved with uh, at, uh, Dream uh, Warrior Factory? Um, God, I don't know if I've solved anything yet. Um, yeah, okay. You know the Dream Warriors thought, were a Canadian rap band in the 1980s? Did you know no, that? No, I'm willing to believe this, but I'm gullible. Yes, I will put that in the notes. Yeah, please. I definitely want to hear about the Dream Warriors. Was it named after the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3? Well, you know, there's this invention called the search engine. So maybe instead of expecting someone else to do some work for you, Ed, you can go look it up. Uh, I was busy playing uh, Civilization on my phone. So. See, Jessica, he does Can this too. you play too. Civilization on your phone? Yeah, it's called Civilization Revolution. He does this all the time to me, Holy Jessica. He plays video games while we're recording. I actually pay attention to the pirate pad, and I think of questions while Fuckhead is busy playing a video game. Every you know, goddamn time. for a long time. Every goddamn time. And I would always get time. like, miss, miss, he's doing something wrong. And I did not miss that. That, yeah, that seems fair. So the tattletale of us, you know who is uh, um, are you Are you now tattling on him for tattling? Yes. <laughs> Mom told me you're adopted. <laughs> it's true. What if I actually was adopted <laughs> and I never told you that? I don't give a shit about your life anyway. <laughs> if people could see the private messages I sent to you, it would put this podcast in a completely different light. <laughs> I, I would put down good money that it's all like sparkle heart, sparkle heart emoji the whole oh, time. Yep, no, it is definitely not. <laughs> there have been some very pointed messages sent to Ed, and Ed sometimes retweets them, the things that I say to him. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes. I usually say things to him with knowing that he's going to he's going to tweet it, so sometimes I filter a little bit, but sometimes I'm quite snarky to him. Quite snarky. So y'all's relationship is performance art? No, we're actually friends, I think. No, yeah, we're friends. And, <laughs> and but we like to we like to give people a little bit of insight into our lives and our sure. relationship. It's kind of like a reality show. Do you have a reality show in uh, 78 episodes? So, I think I think we've reached the end of the episode now that I think about it. We we, we talked about hiring and salaries. And we talked about We did. Um Hey, I want to ask you something because this came up while I was over over the weekend. Um, have you hired or has the company hired folks like straight out of boot camp? 
crazy motherfucker named Gusto. Me? Um, uh, uh, Straight well, out of low cash. Okay, so you're one of those people? And what kind of differences, like, how do you determine, like, who's going to be a, a good hire and how do you handle that person when they come in? Because obviously, you know, their experience is going to be really limited and what they're kind of, you know, one of, in terms of, like, skill set that they've learned in the boot camp, it's going to be fairly limited in terms of, like, well, they're, they're not, they're obviously not going to be experienced developers coming out of it. And their understanding of like the whys and the why do you make these choices is going to probably be pretty limited. Um, how do you, what are the differences in terms of hiring people at those junior levels? And have you seen any good or bad trends out of boot camp stuff? Is this a question for me? It's not a question for Chris, let me tell you. Because <laughs> I don't hire anybody. Oh, okay. I don't hire anybody. So um, I, don't shit. I haven't hired out of boot camps, I don't think. Is, is Tracy's background a boot camp? No, she's self-taught. Um, she taught herself all that she's stuff. She's great. Yeah, she's great. Uh, no, none of us are boot camp backgrounds. Right. Um, so what you're saying is you refuse so I'm to self-taught. hire them. Okay, right. right. Uh, no, I know. I, I'm. It's difficult because I think a lot of times um, I have I have structural problems with boot camps, with most boot camps. Right. Um, so it, it's, it just seems like a way to... Um, get the same kind of people who would be going into technology into tech faster. So it's it's not really um, the way the way most boot camps work doesn't really make the industry more accessible. It really doesn't open things up. It's just if you have the money to throw twenty thirty grand at something and not work for three months, um, right. I guess it can get you the skills to sort of get in and start learning on the job. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm not really a big fan of boot camps, um, for, for moving in new talent perspectives. I've, I've met some folks who went through them who are incredible talents, Mm -hmm. but I think almost everybody does most of their learning in their first job. Right. Uh, There are exceptions. So founders and coders down in London's a completely free boot camp. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and counterintuitively, I've seen, um, so I've, I've um, helped out with a, a woman who graduated from there who's an incredibly talented programmer. Right, yep. Uh, so you think that if you're not paying for it, maybe you don't invest as much, but just absolutely went far out of her way. Uh, so we haven't picked up anybody from a boot camp yet. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I think I would still approach it the exact same way I try to approach folks with a university background in computer science or folks who are self-taught, which is talk to me about the things you like to do. Talk to me about the process. Show me how you would do a thing. Show me something you've built. Um, and if I, it, like, if I'm not able to understand what they're talking about and understand what they're showing me, if we're, if we've got different communication patterns and different working patterns, mm-hmm. um, I'd love to be in an environment to say, Hey, here's a small piece of contract work do the thing and then show me the thing when you're done. Um, I always really appreciate people who, who pay for trial work. Yes. That, you know, I think automatic has that approach where everybody that they hire, they have them do a contract gig for them first. Um, which I thought yeah. was a good idea. Cause a lot of times people will be like, Hey, take uh, here's a small piece of work. Tell us what you would do with this bit of strategy or show us how you would write this code. Mm-hmm. 
And and as somebody looking for a job, it's often like, hey, do this thing for us for free. Yes, that is. Uh, which is cute. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I've I've not really answered your your boot camp question very well. This has been this is really terrible to be honest. But I know I'm ashamed for me. Um, I you know, but I wonder because I think about people who are in those positions where they're smart enough to do these kinds of jobs, and they have the abilities, but they don't have that training, and they you know to sort of get started with it. And they also don't have those options to, like you said, just take three months off and drop 20 grand. And yeah. so now, I mean, one thing you might run into is, I mean, maybe this is begging the question of does everybody need to work in tech? But um, or does everybody need to be a developer, really? Because there aren't like boot camps for like project managers. Um, or at least I haven't heard of them. Um, but I think that there is a, there was a question is how do people, you know, what's the mobility or to, to switch that if they do want to become a developer or do want to get into this field, but they don't have those options. I don't know what else there is for them. I mean, other than, I guess they have to be interested in it enough to make the time somehow, you know? Well, I think as an industry as well, I mentioned that a lot of times you'll see people using the same skill set, but they're not classed as hard jobs right? or hard tech roles. Yep. Uh, so my favorite example in the UK is IT staff at schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they tend, they'll do front-end development. They'll do database development and administration. They'll deal with uh, networking. They'll deal with hardware. They do all the things you would expect from like a baby full-stack dev. Uh, yeah. Uh, but get paid garbage for it? Like they're they're really underappreciated, really not paid what they deserve. Yeah, well, um, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, for sure, uh, especially in gigs like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like that in the States too for most tech people who do anything related to uh, public education. Um, um, what I was thinking was uh, somebody said there's a term and it, w- it was like, it was like, look for jobs that they're not tech jobs. They're tech. Oh, I can't think is like the positioned nearby tech jobs. Tech adjacent. It, it, I think it was tech adjacent. Yes. It was like, well, maybe you could get a job that was out of place that had a lot of that kind of stuff, but isn't, it isn't the job that is just not like, like it's not a developer, but it's something else. I don't know, I guess, or it's at a place that has, those kinds of roles, but maybe it's not, you know, a hundred percent really a developer joint, uh, then plus, you know, sales and maybe PMs on it. I think it was the adjacent term. And that was a, you know, I heard somebody, some people recommend that to somebody who was sort of returning to the industry after maybe 10 years or 15 years out and hadn't, and just is in terms of like technology background, especially for web tech is just, does, doesn't have the skills that would probably, grab that stuff you know what i mean would be desirable yeah, I, at this um, point i saw a talk from somebody a year or two ago where he was telling this funny story about how he got into technology <laughs> he was oh. saying he's like oh i was in university and i was studying something completely different and i i wanted to get a job through 
the school's job finder program for part-time jobs. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, I just sorted it by what paid most. And the thing that popped up was PHP dev. And I'd never programmed anything, but I just went and I interviewed really well and I got the job and that's how I got into tech. That's how I learned the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. Yeah. Um, If you're someone who, who looks like they expect and who interviews like they expect, who can say the thing, um, and then sort of blag your way through it on the job. Right. Um, but I think a lot of times we are hiring people who are um, charismatic fakes. And we are ignoring people who do have sort of a real ability to learn and grow and develop. Um, and at the end of the day, the failure to create the the ability to move between roles in companies, mm-hmm. I think is one of the... Because when you look at something tech-adjacent... Uh, it's so rare to find a company that says, okay, well, you know what, you're doing um, technical sales, you're doing technical marketing, or you're doing support, let's move you up, let's move you over. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I so rarely see that kind of support. That's interesting. And it just seems like a massive waste. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. I think sometimes it, I lose that perspective because at a startup, I imagine myself, could we hire somebody who just doesn't have the skills we want and teach it to them? And then I think to myself, there is no way we would have time for that. But also our, that our company is not in a, uh, I guess what you would call a stable place for that. Right. You know, we're not in a place where we can like, I mean, honestly, we probably wouldn't hire any junior devs right now because we need people who could kind of hit the, you know, ground running on stuff. Yes, I need to cough, excuse me. I think that's, yeah, I think that creates a difficult place with sustainability as well. Like, when you look at, so I I was looking at a really good, I I can't remember it, so I'll try and Google it to add it to the notes, Uh, really good sort of statistical analysis of how long people stay in tech roles. And they found sort of very, guys in their 20s in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, uh, seem to change jobs every two years or so. And we, we pour so much money into hiring and so yeah. little into retention that we've got this not just massive money pit, but massive talent pit on projects. So, okay, we've, we've spent all this money. We've paid our recruiters. We've, we've won the bidding war on salaries. We've got our team together. We're doing the thing. We're doing the thing. Doing the, six months later, someone's gone. Um, and I think that saying, oh, we can't hire juniors or we can't um, – sort of take on people and invest in them um, really ignores the fact that when you when you look at different types of talent, you get longer outcomes. And when you create an environment for junior people that's supportive where their salaries grow and their tasks grow mm-hmm. and their ability to learn grows with them, you've got to, I, I hope, um, yeah, this is all me being a bit... Um, a bit starry-eyed and like, oh, if we treat people better, maybe we'll all get paid and we'll get to live in castles. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at just demographics, do you want somebody who's going to stay in your role and just stay in there long term? Uh, single mothers in technology change jobs the least often. Yeah. Yeah. Like hire for people who need the job, need the skills and keep giving them things they need. Right. Give them space to grow. Give them space to learn. Yeah. Right. Um, so have you seen uh, Culture Amp? No, but it sounds like it's amping up culture. 
it, it is. It's like an internal culture metrics for trying to keep your team less miserable and for keeping uh, retention high. Right. Yeah, we don't. And they're have really money the only on project I've seen around that. Really? So t- <laughs> don't look. I'm going to look this up. No, no. Um, they were out in Australia. I felt so bad not seeing them while I was in Melbourne. Oh, that is embarrassing. I, everything I do is embarrassing. Oh, I've made that's my interesting. Piece. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite cool. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I've been thinking. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, the open sourcing mental illness project uh, that I started. Um, I think we'd really like to start giving our survey specifically to like in a in a just an in, in an individual company to measure the stuff specifically for that company, but also I think it would get us better research data too, um, because it wouldn't be a uh, self-selecting responses. Um, but that was one thing I was kind of thinking about. This is obviously far, far broader than that, but, yeah. um, uh, and probably better executed, but specific to mental health issues. Uh, that's this kind of stuff that I've thought about anyway. Yeah, that's cool. I, I so often see, uh, and I'm, this is not me having a go at you. I hope it doesn't sound critical. Oh, I already am uh, I so often see projects and teams say, oh, we can't afford to do this or we can't afford to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's often because tech, we we look at things in quarters mm-hmm. or maybe a year. Right, sure. Um, we're not really looking for long-term sustainability in lots of our projects. We're looking for um, getting past the next investment hurdle. We're looking at getting past the next um round of funding yeah uh, and right. it's, it's really challenging right no no i know i i can dig it i can dig it no i this is in our case it's a matter of practicality but we're a very very small startup. oh yeah, yeah. And, and so i'm talking about cash flow not not like we can't do no, it no, but, of course. you know what it means is really that it, it's not a good idea to do we think it's not a good idea or not how yeah. we prioritize putting it um but I, I do think that this kind of stuff makes a ton of sense um, in terms of trying to measure at the end of it, you're trying to measure uh, are people actually happy? Do they feel satisfied? And what are the things that they, they value that is go- going to be more likely to keep them there? And um, so many of those things are things that um, I believe that, most companies don't think about or do. Um, and, yeah. and I think oftentimes if individuals do, they're not really in positions. So that kind of, hey, how are we going to support people? How are we going to bring people in? How are we going to have them grow with that? Right. Isn't something you can have one or two people in the company looking towards. Well, it's not. Um, and, and it's very difficult if it's not a core value, which is typically established by the top of the hierarchy in any organization it's very difficult for that to be then a a you know to turn into an organizational value i think and so and it, it's difficult because folks at the top of the organization often have to think about a lot of stuff and a lot of it may yeah. be not super touchy feely <laughs> you know um which sounds dismiss- dismissive of, of these kinds of things and it's certainly not um but they it may look at things in a in a very stark sense and and also be they are probably told and have you know that uh, you know things about profitability and stuff like that that those are things that keep them focused and and 
sometimes uh, it's 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 masked. It masks the uh, the reasons for uh, you know uh, why you want to do that. In that it makes good business sense, but also it's just you know being a good uh, organization. Um, but I'm kind of, I'm not sure I believe that I'm feel like I'm babbling. So I'm going to just stop talking now. No, no. I think trying to be one of the few people or one of the few voices looking for ethical sustainability and talent in an industry that doesn't really value that overall can, could potentially short term put you at a great disadvantage as well. Yes, I think that's possible. I think Ah. particularly in, uh, if if you, particularly if you were a company that is driven by venture capital, I oh, think yeah. that gets so. If you came really to oh, no, it's fine. If you came to your investors and said, "Hey, we're we're bringing up these people. We've got this talent. It's really going to be valuable in five years. It's really going to be important in two years." Mm-hmm. That's not really how funding works right now. That's very different. Uh, I would, I would, I would sort of gently suggest potentially very disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but yeah, speaking a language that that your investors aren't speaking, or speaking a language that your competitors aren't speaking, mm-hmm. is is really high risk and could be really dangerous. Like being different. I think we talk a lot about the value of being different, about being innovative, innovative, and just going out there and forging your own path. But oftentimes we we stick to stuff that feels very safe. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think we do most of the time. <laughs> I think most people do yeah. in all respects, and not just in the tech industry, and not just in. Oh no, you know, God. I think we we mostly do that, and and that's part of human beings tend to do that. That's just that's just how we tend to operate. Now, Chris, he is always breaking barriers. He's an iconoclast. Um, a very quiet one at the moment, but, uh, but yeah, he's always, you know, breaking chains, breaking molds. His mold was broke, was broken. Oh, cool. In fact, when he was made and then it grew back. Yep. What? It's an old emo Phillips joke. Oh, I, like that. I see. I'm aware that emo Phillips is a thing. Really? Oh, wow. That's, I, I think you could probably call him a person, but you know, if you want to humanize him, that's fine. <laughs> oh. For all this talk of good hiring practice, she goes and calls Emo Phillips a thing. I am a very mean she, person. She calls That's all of her great. employees resources. <laughs> <gasps> no. My resources at home doing my taxes. I think that's what she said uh, earlier in the podcast. <laughs> yep, yep, right. He is never going to listen to this. Oh, no. It's, the proudest thing I ever had. So uh, my the, our DevRel team at the moment is all female. Um. And my husband came out to help out at OSCON, just like, here, run, fetch this, mm-hmm. here, go get that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but standing on the stand, he 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 looks very programmery. He's like, a, I think a very sexy, but I'm not sure that people approaching the stand would would always agree. Oh, takes, takes uh, a bald guy with a beard. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so folks would walk up and be like, hey, so tell me what this does. Of course they would. He'd be like, no, God, no. No, I'm just a booth babe. I was like, oh. Did he take his shirt off? I, I, not with me watching him and he better not have. Oh, well, what if you, if you, if your gaze was upon him? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jesus Christ, Dad. (laughs) I've I've just decided all of a sudden never to bring him to an event again. 
Unless I can have like a list of events you're likely to be at. Yeah, and and I've just avoid those. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Ed, those, I'm pretty yeah. sure Ed's going to have a meeting with the podcast HR department tomorrow as a result of what he just said. <laughs> like, need this. Don't yeah. tell Jessica's husband to take her shirt off. I know you said this guy's hot. Uh, you know. Uh... I mean, I think he's hot, but I've 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 really invested emotionally in this. That's a mistake. God, I hope he never listens to this. So you're saying he's only hot because you've been with him for so long? Is that basically what you're trying you've to say? No, no, I think him. I've only been with him this long. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> um, We're winning today. <laughs> uh, Jessica, you should have known better than to give us an opening into a discussion like that. Yeah. All right, we've been talking long enough. It's like two hours. I'm sick and tired of hearing about hiring and firing people. Yeah, that's true. It has been. This is a long one. <laughs> yes, I blame me. All right, that's okay. We blame you too. All right, let's get to the sponsors. Ed. All right. Well, uh, it's a uh, water we network. One. We got the one. Uh, maybe Dream Factory next next episode. <laughs> you call me and trade your secrets for how to get a four day week, and we'll, we'll talk. Okay. Chris, get on that. Um. Wonder Network. You wonder where your network is? It's all over the world. It's in China. It's in Africa, which is not a country, but a continent. It's in Germany. It's in Russia. It's in Australia. It's in Indonesia. It's right here in the great old USA. Wonder Network. Where's your network? Of course, the irony is that Wonder Network is actually a Canadian company. (laughs) (laughs) Good job with that, Ed. Glorious. Good good job with that. Yeah, we only have one sponsor. That's very disappointing. I'm very disappointed and people have been throwing money at us. That reminds Mm -hmm. me, when I see Gary in in, uh, London in a couple of weeks, I'll remind him of his obligation to sponsor our podcast. Yeah, that's true. We told last episode, we have 1,800 listens to that podcast. And I said that PHP Storm was the greatest productivity increaser since the wheel. I think, and yet, no money showed up in our bank no, account. As a no, result of no that, kickbacks. So. No, no free licenses. Yeah, none. No podcast uh, roundup where we're number one on Gary's list. Nope, none of that stuff. I'm really disappointed by Gary. Didn't I'll let even him know mention, in person, Ed. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Should I rough him up a little bit when I see him when he picks me up at the airport? Yes, absolutely. Right, That's a fabulous idea. I'll be like, hey, can I drive this thing? And I'll just shove him out of his car and then take off for Portsmouth. Oh. That sounds like a good plan. Yar. Yeah. I'll, like, I'll, be, I'll, be like, I'll be like in uh, A Fish Called Wanda. I'll drive on the wrong side of the road and call everyone assholes, just like Kevin Klein's character. <laughs> Asshole! You're on the wrong side of the road. All right, uh, so I think uh, I think we're good here, buddy. Yep. So Jessica, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. It's been a very long and winding conversation. This is probably one of our longer episodes we've ever done. So this is very it's because very... we enjoyed it so much. Yes, we did. And there were so many different topics. I'm, I'm shocked. Usually, I think it's probably me talking over y'all that dragged this out. Yeah. Yes, it's your fault. You know, but that kind of attitude where you blame yourself for failure 
going to hurt you in the next interview. I've been told there's only one of these. I never get have to come back. Oh, yeah, that's bullshit. No, we've had people on twice. Oh, sh- Oh, dear. Don't, don't let can, away the trade secrets. swearing. Do they not know that you use profanity at your workplace, or is that? A- well, I'm I'm living in Britain now, so we 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 swear a lot, and I try. Yeah. Oh God, when we get off this, like, oh, get, let me tell you about the time I accidentally swore, and it was terrible. So a friend, of, um, oh, but this podcast is over. So no, no, I've got one more anecdote, and then we'll end it. And it's it it is English focused. It, it is a cultural dichotomy <laughs> that I'm going to demonstrate. Um, I was in college and a guy I knew who was at the college, who was an, it was a a student from England studying at our university. Why? Uh, usually our university was like well down the list of places you might end up. So it didn't work out that he, he didn't get into, I don't know, NYU or other Purdue or whatever. It was the school I went to. So way down the list. And, uh, he went, he, he, this was like the, this would have been mid nineties. So he went to a Tori Amos concert as, okay. as one as want to do in the nineties. And I'm waiting for the point. He, uh, he was just speaking his normal Britishisms as a young, a very, you know, early twenties British man. I know where this is going. And, um, there's a word that is uh, profane in both countries, but is a, a bit more um, of a, 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 a tough one in the U.S. than it is in, over at the aisle. And, uh, and it starts with a C and ends with a T. And, um, and it's Phil Sturgeon's favorite word. Yeah, it's cunt. And... So he oh, says this. Oh, that's terrible with an American accent. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a racial epithet. Um, and so he says this. And like in the crowd, all these people start staring at him. All these Tori Amos fans. Oh, God, it was so good. Oh. Why well, he like called her like a right. Isn't no, she he was right just like. The- yeah, 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 he's a fucking cunt or something like that, right? And and, and people are just like, what the fuck did you just say? Wait, did they get the needle scratching across the record? Oh, I, yeah, I think it, I think it was one set. of those where, yeah, if I was doing the soundtrack, if I was doing the Foley work and stuff yeah. for his uh, his life, that would have been what happened. So, yeah. Damn, son. That's a, yeah, that's a tough do one. That at the American Tour Ames concert. <laughs> What did I just say? What did you say? <laughs> oh, I think that I think talking about you, I don't even want to say that word, but that's I think that's a good fitting in for the podcast. So this has been episode number seventy-eight of the Development Hell Podcast. I'm gonna try to work that word into the title. I think we can get away with that, Ed. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, I'm going to go lay down. So, go. Jessica, yeah. thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank, thank It was you. really good. And uh, uh, I know we didn't get to spend a lot of time together in Australia because uh, you weren't feeling well uh, while I was totally chipper and ready to uh, drink till I stank. Oh, to, do you to, know what was amazing? To prepare for my flight back home. 
Uh, but hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll see you at another conference uh, sometime soon. So. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, so we'll have shown uh, in the notes. You should, you should. I don't follow Jessica because she gets too amped up for me sometimes. I don't like so much positivity um, <laughs> in my life. So, but if you want like nice shiny examples of uh, being a positive person, Jessica's Twitter feed is awesome. Plus, she talks about all the hiring stuff. So, a lot of what she talks about on this podcast, she actually talks about all the time on Twitter. So she's the she's the real deal. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us. So every single episode of this podcast you can find on our website at devhill.info. If you also listen to us on uh, iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast uh, to let us know that we're continuing to uh, uh, provide you with comedy gold. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as grumpy programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you all soon. Good night, Internet. Internet.